This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, we are going to talk about one of the more difficult topics I've discussed on the podcast, mummy wine culture. I have been searching for a really long time to find the appropriate person to have this conversation with, and I am introducing you guys today to Michelle Smith. Michelle is an addictions counselor, speaker, author, and founder of Recovery is the New Black. She has over 20 years experience in addictions and behavior counseling, and she uses her platform to help women experience the freedom and confidence that comes with living a sober life. Today's episode is going to take a deep look at the struggles of motherhood and how mummy wine culture can become a problematic coping mechanism. We will hear from Michelle about her experience and relationship with alcohol. Mama, I want you to know this is a judgment-free discussion. This is not a war on alcohol. This is not me saying I'm anti-alcohol in any way. I just want you to know some of the red flags. We'll talk about when drinking becomes problematic, signs and risk factors of addiction, other ways to cope with motherhood struggles that don't include alcohol, and how to find help if you need it. The use of alcohol to cope is normalized in our culture, and this can be extremely problematic for moms in the postpartum period who are at higher risk of postpartum depression, anxiety, and other mood disorders. The reality is that one in five moms will struggle with a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder, and that 40% of those moms are walking around undiagnosed, thinking that they are failing or are not cut out for motherhood. We also know, according to research, that those who are experiencing a mood or anxiety disorder are at much greater risk of abusing alcohol. So we add in all of these risk factors and the stressors and overwhelm of the postpartum period, and we've got a perfect storm for a dependence on alcohol. So this is an essential conversation for us to be having from a mental health perspective and also from a thriving and motherhood perspective. I had this conversation with Michelle with the deepest compassion and knowing that we're all doing what we can to parent and get by, but there are many ways for us to cope and parent that don't involve alcohol. So I know that this is going to be tricky and we might get some flack for this conversation in a culture where this is so normalized, but please hear where this is coming from. Let's hear my conversation with Michelle. Hey mamas, have you heard the exciting news? We are rolling out a wellness clinic across the country. That's right, Canada's first maternal mental health nationwide clinic. So far we are offering services in Ontario. We've recently added Alberta and Saskatchewan. And while you're listening to this, we may be rolling out additional provinces in your location. To learn more and find a maternal mental health specialist that can serve you in your adjustment to motherhood, head to happyasamother.co slash wellness. That's happyasamother.co slash wellness. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, 
Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. I was so excited to hear about your story, and I know you're passionate about the work that you do, so we're really excited to have you here with us today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm not going to lie. This episode is one that is necessary. It's been on my mind for a long time. I've been really thoughtful and mindful about who I've chosen to be a part of this episode because the first time I started speaking about mommy wine culture or I put a couple of infographics out there on Instagram, I got a lot of blowback. And I think I was naive to how polarizing of a topic. I got a real sort of eye opener, but it's a really necessary topic and one that I'd love for you to share how you found your way into specializing in dealing with addictions and alcohol. And I have a bit of my own personal story too, which I might be able to weave into our conversation today. Yes. I fell into the culture about, I think it was 2012, was when I had my first taste of what mommy wine culture really was. And it was after the birth of my second child, and I was greeted to the hospital with friends and family. A total of eight bottles of wine champagne were gifted to me, and I was told motherhood is really hard and this will help. And before, I never had any run-ins or consequences, very minimal consumption based on a predisposition of having a long line of alcoholism in my family. So I was very careful. And I noticed as the years went by, the seasons of motherhood were really, really hard, like a lot of people said. And a lot of people I was around weren't talking about how difficult it really was. And being a mom who worked double jobs, who just had a passion for life, found herself isolated, disconnected, and feeling really lonely. Hmm. And so when I would get these invites to happy hour, yoga, walks at the park, I was very eager to take those invites because I was feeling a longing for this connection and camaraderie with other mothers. And so I did that. I accepted those invites and slowly over time, every single invite, event, birthday party, celebration had one common staple and that was alcohol. And I started noticing myself drinking more and more and more to fit in at first, but then I liked the way that it eased my anxiety and it made me feel a little bit more confident and connected with other women. Mm-hmm. Over time, I just ended up starting to drink it in private mm. to reward myself, to celebrate a victory of keeping my tiny humans alive. And, you know, it really spiraled into severe alcohol abuse with major consequences. And I really had to take a look at my life and my relationship with alcohol and notice that it was no longer serving me. I wasn't being my best self. Mm-hmm. 
with alcohol being a part of my life and had to make some really hard decisions. And I did. And I'm almost five years sober now. Wow. And I know that your platform and a lot of what you do is built on a passion for moms in this space and in the same situation, right? And if that's something that I want us to set the tone for in this conversation today is there is absolutely no shame and judgment here. This is not about judging decisions. This is not about telling you how to live your life. This is about the fact that one in five moms struggle with a postpartum mood or anxiety disorder. 40% of those moms do not get diagnosed. So we're walking around thinking that we are failing in our motherhood role, that we're unlovable, that we're not good at this because that's what depression tells us. And then we are in this culture that normalizes the use of substances. And then when we look at other research about things that make us at risk of abusing substances, depressive mood and anxiety being right up at the top of the list, and that is the biggest complication of childbirth are these mental health issues that mothers are facing. So this is such a prevalent and real conversation for us to be having from my perspective as a maternal mental health therapist and from your perspective, like working in addictions and things. But when we marry the two addictions and motherhood, I don't think that people really see it as the problem that it is because it's not a problem for maybe everybody. Memes and culture make light of it. And heck, I've been scrolling and laughing through the memes myself. It's funny, but not always. And so I think that it's important for us to unpack this today. Like, when does this become problematic? And What does addiction really look like? And is one drink a day a bad thing? All of these questions that I feel like get asked. So maybe we can start with just simply, like, is all drinking problematic? Like, how do we know? How do we know if our drinking has become problematic? Absolutely. It's a great question. And it's a question that only the individual can ask and answer. Mm. Is it problematic is going to look different for every single person. And I think the important piece is, is that we don't have to wait for our relationship with alcohol or any substance to be problematic before we take a look at it Mm. and say, is it adding value to my life? Is it costing me more than it's giving me? Am I showing up and being the person that I want to be to the people I love? And is it getting in the way? Mm-hmm. You know, those are the real questions. And I think that I was guilty of this as well, is that there's two areas. There's the, I can drink normally, like the normie, or there's the opposite end of the spectrum, which is alcoholism. And somewhere we have to fall in between those two areas. And there is these 50 shades of gray in between where it can become problematic, but we're not that bad yet. Mm-hmm. I'm not as bad as so-and-so, or I haven't gotten a DUI, or I am a high-functioning alcoholic. And I think it's really important to get rid of labels and just say, is this serving me? Mm. If not, what do, do I need to make any changes? Do I need to be more mindful of my consumption? And really just going for there because there doesn't have to be these rock bottom and alcoholism labels that define who we are and how we choose to use this substance. And there's tons of people who have a great relationship with alcohol. And I was one of them for a long period of time. Right. Motherhood, you know, I was diagnosed with postpartum depression. I didn't even realize. And as being a professional in the field as well, I knew what to look for. I knew the signs. And I was sitting in this position 
and not even knowing it. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, you know, it was the perfect breeding ground for my predisposition, me getting a diagnosis of postpartum depression and wanting something to connect with. And I found that that substance was that mommy wine culture was the perfect storm of a breeding ground where my alcoholism flourished. Mm. And so it was like, you know, when I see all these things and I want to feel connected, I poked the bear. The bear was in hibernation. And all of these things that I was doing and not taking care of myself really created this perfect storm that looked very innocent and relatable and in control for a very long time until it wasn't. And I think the key thing for me was, is I was a social drinker until I felt that I no longer drank for any other reason other than to suppress an emotion that I was feeling. I started reaching for this external solution to an internal problem, which was grief and loss, Mm -hmm. losing my mother as I was becoming a mother. I was depressed. I was anxious. And at that time, this coping tool of alcohol was working to suppress those really uncomfortable and unfamiliar emotions I wasn't ready to address. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it becomes habit, right? It becomes this routine of I do the same thing every day. Motherhood for me was very thankless. It was all about service and sacrifice in that season of my life. Mm -hmm. And I just kept reaching and kept reaching. And I slowly stopped using the tools that I was using that were really effective and healthy ways of coping with life and substituted it with happy hours and more alcohol and more alcohol. And it just crumbled into... I need this every day to function. Yeah. Well, and one of the big pushbacks I get when having this conversation is, I'm just trying to cope. I'm just trying to survive. You know, there's a defensiveness as if I'm wanting to like take something from someone when we're having this conversation around alcohol and and mommy wine culture and things like that. But I think it's really important for us to define healthy, sustainable coping skills and maladaptive or harmful or hurtful coping skills. A coping skill by definition should be something that is sustainable, helps us to cope, helps us to improve how we're feeling, doesn't create its own subset of problems, and helps us to move forward out of that maybe grief that we're feeling or that depressive mood that we're in. When we add something like alcohol into the mix, it might feel like a coping strategy in the short term, But in the long term, it creates its own subset of problems. And that is not a true adaptive coping skill, right? When our coping skill is creating its own subset of problems, it's not an actual sustainable coping method. And so in having this conversation, it's not that we're trying to, you know, throw you out with no lifeline. It's how do we develop healthy and sustainable lifelines that really foster healing and really foster growth rather than kind of sucking us into this dark hole of or subset of issues of their own, right? Absolutely. I did that with grief and loss with my mother passing. And it was, you know, it was, it's very socially acceptable to take shots at the grave site. 
and say, oh, it's okay. We can go to the bar. I've lost my mom. This, you know, this is really hard for you. It's going to take some time. Mm. And, you know, it's like, sure, I don't want to process the emotions that are associated with grief and loss. But I learned more from bereavement work and working through losing a mom as I became a mom and being an adult orphan and really struggling with, wow, I didn't realize how beautiful and how hard my mom worked until I became a mom. Hmm. I learned more from that than suppressing my emotions with a bottle because I didn't want to feel anything anymore. Mm -hmm. And I am living a life that she is proud of now. I can't bring her back regardless of what I do. And it's really hard to sit in that discomfort. Mm -hmm. But knowing that we can do really hard things, I am a better person because I've worked through that. And I am more empowered to take care of my life so I don't put myself in a position of leaving my children at a young age. Mm -hmm. And it was hard, but that was the easy way out was to drink it away because society tells us that that is one of the acceptable ways that we can excessively drink. Right. Like take the edge off kind of mentality. Yes. Right? Yes. And when, when we're talking about this, like when does it become problematic? I feel like that definition of problematic probably changes massively and is subjective. Like, I am not against alcohol. I would love to enjoy, you know, a glass of wine or something here and there. But I also am aware that I have like interviews to run and I have days where I have to have a real creative pull on my brain. And I've realized that actually a problematic outcome of alcohol for me, even just one glass is like I'm super foggy the next morning and I can't pull on my creativity the way that I need to. And that in itself for me is a problem, right? Versus my father who died of alcoholism at the age of 53 still wouldn't have admitted it was a problem, probably, right? Right. And I think we lower our standards of what we think is acceptable and unacceptable and problematic. Because when I started drinking, I'm like, I'll never get headaches or I'll never miss work. And really smart people that will drink will say, oh, I don't like how that felt. And I ha- like you, I have to be on point where I would start to push through and muster through those withdrawals and those cravings. And then, you know, my standards were, well, I just won't miss work and I can't get a DUI. And then when that Mm. happens, it's like, we'll all never lose my job or ever have to be one of those that go to treatment or go to Alcoholics Anonymous. And it's interesting of the more that you become addicted to this very highly addictive substance, you define in your terms of what is too much and what's problematic really change. Interesting. I'll never be like that person. Right. Well, if you drink long enough and you continue to go back to a very addictive mind-altering chemical, the likelihood would be high. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's really hard because when we say problematic, I just went to the airport. I, I flew to Florida. Mm. And it is acceptable to drink at five o'clock in the morning at an airport. Nobody will bat an eye. Hmm. And it's like when you're on holiday or when you're traveling, all bets are off. That's considered normal in our society. Right. So what is normal and what's not? It depends on the person. It depends on the situation. And I don't know if there is anything that is considered normal anymore. Right. It's a great question. Yeah. It's really normalized. So like, I don't know. Okay. Confession. 
I love the Real Housewives. Okay, <laughs> it's it's a it's a it's a thing. I didn't ever watch the franchise until COVID, and I ran out of things to watch, and now I've consumed like the whole franchise, and it's like whatever. And it's like the behavior that is considered acceptable in a lot of these social situations is just mind blowing. But you see how normalized it is. And when this is the group that you're around, when you're at the park and it's in the afternoon and the mummy groups are pulling out wine and having a glass of wine or putting wine in their tumblers or whatever, if everybody's doing it, then it felt like a problem for me, but everybody else is doing it. It must not be a problem. So then we start to like look outward to sort of find that gauge. And I think that that's how this slippery slope, like it, it can erode by just looking at the environment around us as well. Mm-hmm. And birds of a feather flock together. So all those soccer moms were doing it. So that's all I'm ever going to see. Right. And it's like when I started associating with people who, you know, it wasn't primarily such the focus of their life or they were living an alcohol-free life for whatever reason, I didn't see it anymore. You know, and so it really, I mean, I encourage everyone to look at your social circle and look at is the substance that's holding that relationship together alcohol? Mm. Would you, are you having mindful conversations or is it a bunch of gossip and just we complain about our husbands and how hard life is? Right. There was no right. substance to my conversations. And the only thing I really knew about them was what type of wine they liked. Right. That told me a lot. Can we, for the person who's maybe feeling, a bit defensive at this point in our conversation. Like, is there a place for alcohol in my life? I don't know. What do you say to that? Like, do I have to give up alcohol entirely? Or when is it too much? I think it comes back to that same question of when is it problematic? But I feel like this is about the time in the conversation that there might be maybe some defensiveness that starts to surface. And what what can we maybe address there? Absolutely. Alcohol, absolutely. People, it's legal. People can drink it and people can drink it responsibly. That is fantastic. I was able to do it for a really long time until I wasn't. And I think that it's important that people do have healthy relationships with it, but I encourage people to lean in and get curious about why am I drinking? Yeah. Is it something that I'm craving the solution at the bottom of the bottle? Am I suppressing emotions that really have, that need a different way to get those, that outlet differently? If you're not drinking for emotional reasons and it's social and you're not obsessing and craving and thinking about the next one, go for it, you know, Mm -hmm. drink responsibly, but just be very mindful about the progression and the addictive ability that alcohol has on us. And that is to be very mindful because it is accessible. Nobody questions it. It's everywhere. And we get looked at like we have three heads if we don't want to. And people are genuinely usually curious about why people aren't drinking, but get curious about why are you doing it? Why are you reaching for this versus something else? Yeah. Absolutely, people can drink responsibly and live productive, healthy, beautiful lives. I think it's just really important to not joke about it for people who genuinely have problematic relationships with it. Mm -hmm. And just to look at how it's really not that funny when we're spreading memes because we wouldn't do that with cigarettes or anything else. You know, we don't do that with body image and body dysmorphia. And so I think it's just really being mindful about the peer pressure and how much we are really doing big alcohols work for them. They Mm. market it to us as very vulnerable, 
very, this underpopulated group of women who desperately want connection and desperately want to just relax and take the stress off a really stressful day. How Mm -hmm. else can I do that first versus just getting that all done for me to this place of euphoria that's going to wear off in 20 minutes? Is the definition of an addiction more about how we're using the substance versus the frequency and things? Because I feel like we can get hung up on a one drink a day or so many drinks a week. But I feel like what I'm hearing you say, it's really more in the how we're using this. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's correct. Yeah. Can we unpack some of that? And you've touched on it with some of your own story, but what does that addictive sort of pattern or symptoms of that start to look like over time? I think it looks like, first of all, when people get home from a stressful day, if they find themselves going to the market more often than they normally would, or they're thinking about it when they're still at work, Mm. or my kiddos are getting really, you know, the the witching hour is usually a two to three hour span of time. And that's really hard for a lot of moms. And if they're thinking as they're reading to their kiddos, bedtime stories, gosh, today was really hard. I can't wait to have that glass of wine that's downstairs for me. Mm. Those types of thoughts and feelings are something to really take note of. If I know that this time is really hard for me, how can I plan according? And of course, we're all moms and that can be really hard. But do something to distract and delay and really notice what you're feeling. And how can I nurture and love on myself without reaching for that first? So if I'm feeling exhausted, maybe I need a power nap or a coffee on my way home. Or I need a pep talk in my car of some personal development or a podcast. Think about... What am I really feeling and what can really help me long term Mm -hmm. versus the short term instant gratification that this world is so used to getting? It really makes me think about moms during the pandemic when so many of our other resources were stripped away and we were living this Groundhog's Day. And I don't know the statistics, but I can just imagine the statistics around alcohol consumption during the pandemic because our social coping skills that are helpful and adaptive in a lot of ways were stripped from us or really reduced or changed to be online, right? Yep. And so when you're talking about this in the evening, when we think about a coping skill by definition being something that is helpful and a solution that doesn't have its own set of problems, and we think about trying to maybe attend a yoga class or go for a walk or move our body or meet up with a friend... There were real barriers around that in the pandemic. And so I feel like if you've come out of a really hard time and you're listening to this, this is, again, about zero judgment and so much about us wanting to have this conversation because we've been through hardships in our life and we know others are going through it. And there are more healthy and sustainable ways to cope with our struggles and our depression or anxiety or our grief, our loss, our parenting, like you said, like sort of orphaned parenting, our parenting without our parents and all of the trauma that that brings up, you know. And now that the pandemic is starting to lift a bit as people are getting vaccinated and in Ontario, we're like literally just coming out of the lockdown as we're recording this. It's been 
like since November we've been locked down and it is now the beginning of July and we're finally allowed to eat on a patio now. So there's this hopefulness in the air now of being able to access some of those coping skills and resources and being able to move our bodies at the gym and do some of these self-care things for ourselves as well. Yes, it's so important because so much of that was taken away that now we can be creative again, which it does kind of, you know, open up the floodgates for more temptation as well, if people Mm. have been doing really well. So it's really important to like, reach out, think about what makes this fun. If you have an hour a week or an hour a day of things that can fill your cup, do it, do things. And I know that the mom guilt of leaving our kiddos is really hard. But I know personally, I'm such a better mom when I refill my cup and I do something that feels good for me because I'm the only one that's going to do it. Nobody's going to do it for me. Hmm. And I'm done living a resentful life with my husband and my children that I'm not going to get the help that I want. But I'm done playing small and playing the victim that I'm going to drink my way through life when it gets really hard and really heavy because I'm cutting my nose to spite my face. I needed to learn distress tolerance skills and other ways. I created this beautiful life that I wanted for myself. And mm-hmm. all when life got super hard, all I wanted to do was escape all of it. And life is so beautiful and fun if we just really lean into what's important, ditch the perfectionism, ditch the comparison with moms. You know, it's just Mm -hmm. there's so many fun, cool ways to connect, especially going out of this pandemic, than just hanging around, drinking, having small talk, Mm -hmm. you know? And so really think about what things did you love before you became a mother and how can you implement that? Moving forward, as your kiddos start to get older, how can you do some of those things with them? Mm -hmm. You know, I love to ski and I'm getting my kids to ski with me now. And I have a love for photography that I'm bringing back into my life. I never did that before. And gardening, my kids can do that with me and we get to harvest our own food and the gifts that that gives. It's just pure joy. Yeah. And so there's so many cool things. I think a really major piece that you touched on here is the interpersonal piece when we're dealing with addictions, right? Yes. And it makes me think of my experience with my father and the roller coaster that we would go on and the strain that that put on our relationship, even as an adult child, the impact that those words can have and the strain essentially that it puts on our relationship So I would factor that into this conversation of when is it becoming problematic? Well, really, when it starts to impact our relationships, too, right? And is that something that you can speak to? 100%. And people genuinely care. It's not necessarily that they don't want you to have fun. People don't want to co-sign and say nothing. And so listen to people, especially if they love and care about you. Addiction in itself isn't a spectator sport. Everybody gets to play whether or not they want to. I was drinking and I thought I was impacting absolutely nobody when I was affecting everybody around Mm. me and everybody who loves me. And I was so resistant and resentful to the people who were saying something. And I had to go back and say, I love you. Thank you for telling me and showing me things Mm. that I couldn't see. And it's absolutely true. This does impact other people. And you can only for so long say, I was being silly and overly, you know, dramatic at the campfire because I had one too many. You can only use that excuse so long. 
But people don't know what happens behind closed doors and the emotional and mental abuse and the financial hardships that addiction has. It comes with a lot of consequences that aren't necessarily visible to the people on the Mm -hmm. outside looking in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to think about, so when we talk postpartum depression or anxiety, a mom going through that one in five moms, and that their partner is 50% more likely to be going through something if their partner is going through it. We are tethered to our partners, right? If we're going through something, our partner is going through it in their own experience and in their own way. So I think about so many moms that have sort of heard from and talked to who are experiencing postpartum depression or anxiety or anxiety that is so overwhelming and crippling or intrusive thoughts that are so disturbing that they feel like they just want to get out of their own brain, you know, that end up like using substances. And then the situation from partner's perspective, the helplessness, the powerlessness, like the anger, the frustration, all of the different experiences going through this with their partner, their loved one, right? It's a tax, a strain, a whatever on the relationship as well. It does. You know, my husband, he didn't know what to do. He's like, you're the strong one. You're the rock. You're the one that holds this family together. And I've never seen you struggle It just goes to show that any type of addictive substance, you can be educated, you can be a strong, powerful, independent woman and fall victim to things that are addictive. Right. And my husband didn't know what to do. He's like, I've never seen you like this before. And he was my high school sweetheart. So he saw the majority of me sober and he didn't Mm. like the drunk Michelle. And of course, partners have a way of, oh, well, I like you in certain situations, right? I like you when you're more relaxed and you're not as feisty with the kids and, you know, we can go in the bedroom and have more fun, but it's like, that's the only drunk Michelle you like. And I can't live Mm -hmm. both of these worlds. I need to learn to love myself and the mistakes and who I am showing up authentically and work through the people pleasing, work through why I have lack of confidence in myself that I feel myself comparing myself to other women. I need to do the work and find out why I feel that way versus feeling like I have to have an extra glass of wine before I go to happy hour Mm, and visit my girlfriends. mm -hmm. They're probably not judging me. All the judging that I'm doing is done for everybody else. Like I was not feeling well with myself, not feeling like I had lost the baby weight, not feeling like I was winning at breastfeeding and winning at life. All of these standards, Mm -hmm. I felt like I was falling short. And I think it's really important for all the moms listening that the expectations that we have for ourselves before we have children versus after needs to be revisited and adjusted accordingly. I was unable to do all of the things that I had done before. And looking through social media, again, it shows you this lens of things that are just the highlight reel. I wasn't able to have cute matching outfits with the children. I didn't have a perfect curated home. I wasn't able to make beautiful homemade meals anymore. Mm. It was basically just getting through life and it's a season and all of them are so different. And right when we master one, another one comes and sweeps us off our feet. And so my husband and I said, let's use money to have a cleaning lady. Let's do a food service for a while and have, you know, HelloFresh come bring us meals. How can we help support you? Mm-hmm. Because right now in this season of motherhood, you can't do all the things that had been done before and we're not asking you to. You're doing this all on your own. Mm-hmm. And so we work together to say, how can we 
work together as a team to lighten the load on you as a full-time working mom. Yeah. And that was so amazing for him to say, I see you struggling and I want you to know that you're doing a great job and let's work together to get some help on board and for you to resist needing the help and stop being stubborn Mm -hmm. because that was huge for me. And I'm sure it is for a lot of moms is that we can ask for help. It's not a sign of weakness by any means. This is messy and it's chaotic Mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be done perfectly. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists, with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash momwell. ZocDoc.com slash momwell. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or vegan and veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. 
With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. It's so interesting because I'm thinking about our loved ones that come to us out of concern. I joke with my husband all the time because I hate being told what to do. Yes. Like I'm a... like. I do whatever the F I want. I'm my own person. I'm my own whatever. Like, you, we ask each other. We respect each other. We make requests of each other. But, like, nobody tells me what to do, right? And so I can just imagine there's this dynamic that happens when somebody is, like, abusing substances or, like, is struggling and needs help. It almost, like, people start to, like, treat them like a child or the people in their life become parentified. And so I can imagine this power struggle that can go on where others are so badly like wanting to give help at times. And then I would be like probably really frustrated with feeling, I don't know, (laughs) I can just imagine how this dynamic can play out, right? It can get really, really sticky. And it did for my partner and me. It got really Mm -hmm. bad where I did get resentful, stubborn, resistant. Don't tell me to look at my relationship with alcohol as you're sipping on yours. Right. I was very, very defiant. And looking back, people were only trying to help. And I think that you know, it leads into a really great conversation of how do you help people? What do you say to somebody, especially if you're the person that is going to say something that still enjoys their drinking? Right. You know? And so I think the best thing I found is give them materials or ask them. There is this book called This Naked Mind by Annie Grace, and it really challenges you to think about your relationship with alcohol without judgment and without shame. It talks about the psychology and the science behind why we drink. Hmm. And so it really allows us to take space and time to adjust our drinking habits and really evaluate them based off our core values. So I used to think alcohol helped my anxiety and helped me sleep. And so what I'm going to do is if I believe this to be true, I'm going to put this to the test. I am Mm. going to do this. And what I found is it doesn't help me sleep. I don't get REM sleep. I feel like crap when I wake up. And so what I believe to be true through my own environmental upbringing is that this didn't help. This was not my truth. And with my anxiety, it eased my anxiety for a few minutes, but then it was like pouring gasoline on my anxiety. I felt so much worse not knowing what I said that night. Right. I didn't like the way that made me feel. So Michelle, does it really help you sleep? And do you feel less anxious? No, Mm. I don't. So why are you doing it? And instead of being told that I can't drink, I came to my own conclusion with a lot of trial and error and collecting research, I decided that alcohol was no longer serving me in the way that I thought it was. So it's always great to say, hey, you know, there's this really good book on Amazon that I heard about that's really like challenging us to look at our relationship with alcohol. Maybe that's a great book for you to pick up or gift it to somebody or have them download that podcast. Those are mm-hmm. great ways to say, hey, you know, I think I'm thinking about cutting back. Do you want to do this together? I could, I would love an accountability buddy. Right. It's so important. And for those that are listening who are maybe feeling this for themselves and, and it's not somebody coming to them, but they're listening to this and thinking, where do I even start? Like, I don't know. It's just my go-to, right? What do I do? Where do I start? 
I would start with the Naked Mind book and podcast. Okay. And the other recommendations that I have is just start being curious. When you start feeling like you're getting ready to have a drink or you're planning something, really notice, like, how do I feel? Can I stop? Am I putting rules around this? And I love when people follow others on social media, so on Instagram or private Facebook groups. There's alcohol curious groups. I run a group, mm-hmm. Recovery is the New Black, on Facebook. Be a fly on the wall. Start collecting and listening to people's stories and getting information about it and hearing that you're not alone because a lot of people feel that they're the only ones going through this because nobody's talking about it. Mm-hmm. And there are millions of people that are taking a break or looking at their relationship with alcohol. And this goes for reasons that aren't even problematic. People don't think about religious reasons, dietary restrictions. You know, I mean, people understand that this is not a healthy substance to be ingesting in the human body. Mm -hmm. You know, there's tons of reasons why people, they have allergies to it. And so this shift is happening and you can simply just be curious and lean into why other people aren't doing it and learn for yourself. This isn't an overnight experiment. Does this play a role in my life? If not, let's take a look at that. And how can we make some changes that might improve my quality of life, my mental health? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like we do anything. Yeah. Well, that's just it. I was going to say, like, it doesn't have to be just alcohol. I think about a curious, mindful awareness in a lot of things that I do. And when it comes to alcohol specifically, it's like, oh, I'm having a really hard day today. I'm actually going to mindfully choose to not have a glass of wine tonight. Like, yes, you know, uh, I know that I just like had a stressful week and I'm going to opt for this instead of that. When we turn on that awareness and that mindfulness We're not so fused with our emotions and we don't just fall into the same habits that have been reinforced time and time again. Yes, that that's it. That is it right there. It's all about the daily habits and routines. And they're so subconscious at this point. Like we just get up, turn off our alarm, brush our teeth and get our coffee. Mm -hmm. You know, we have our morning routine. We have our night routine. And we have this witching hour and this normal routine that we've created for ourselves. And it's so much of it is so mindless. I stocked my fridges, my outside fridge, my indoor fridges with a bunch of sparkling water, fun, cool mocktails. And I would literally switch the drink that I had in my hand. I knew, I just declared right now, I'm going to see how I feel and just not have an alcohol-free, it's going to be an alcohol-free house. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm stressed, instead of grabbing that glass of wine, I'm going to grab a smoothie in a glass that's all special or grab a LaCroix and see how that feels break the pattern, right? Break the habit and see how I feel. Am I mad that I can't drink? That's information that's telling you something, you know? Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. it's just, there's so many little good tips and tricks that you can do to just take a break. And if you have a hard time taking a break, there's, there's some information for you that you can dig a little bit deeper. Yeah. Especially before it becomes really problematic where, 
you know, I couldn't personally go a day or a couple hours without it. And that's the slippery slope of an addictive substance is, you know, I could sit here and say that I was a binge drinker, I could take it or leave it for a long period of time, days and weeks. But when I the first drink would get me drunk. Mm. And I never understood that slogan before. Because I didn't look like the stereotypical person that we think is an alcoholic or is addicted to a substance. And that just goes to show that this doesn't discriminate and that nobody is immune. Pilots, doctors, lawyers, you know, addiction counselors like me, mental health counselors like me, everybody is susceptible and nobody is immune. And it's just about being mindful and being curious of our behavior, our patterns and our habits so that we don't fall into an unhealthy relationship with anything in life. Mm hmm. There's a big piece that you've touched on and kind of woven in here and there, but there is a real shame feeling, right, that surrounds this whole conversation. And I think that so often we can end up in these increasingly problematic situations because there's so much shame to have a conversation, to talk to anybody about it, or it looks like everybody else is doing fine, or we've convinced ourselves that we're doing fine. So what is the role of shame here? And shame being, for those who are listening, like, keeping things hidden, keeping it concealed, feeling like we can't open up and share about it. And we have to isolate it and keep it private and like a real ache around this conversation. Right. And and shame, what it led to me was self-sabotaging behavior. Every time I would try to put limits to my drinking and I considered that a failure, I would self-sabotage with drinking more alcohol. So I would punish myself. Mm. And the shame cycle is like that hamster wheel that is so detrimental. I would not tell anybody, which led to secrets, hiding, shame, no accountability, and more drinking, more binge and excessive drinking. I believe it's really important for anything that we do that we're feeling. There's a difference, obviously, like you know, between shame and guilt Mm -hmm. and not owning that I am a bad mom. I am not that behavior. I am a really good mom and I make really poor decisions when I choose to drink. Mm -hmm. And that is the difference of if I don't lose that weight or I drink that extra cup or, you know, glass of wine, meeting myself with self-compassion and curiosity versus shaming myself for engaging in that behavior is key. How can I love on myself the way I would if you told me, Erica, that you drank a glass of wine that you didn't want to drink last night? Right. How can we learn from this? What can we do differently next time? And it's just a lesson learned. And I would mark my sobriety dates a million times and all I would see is a failure. I started looking at that with just a different lens. I reframed the way I looked at myself and said, you know what? This is a woman who is not giving up. Hmm. I am fighting for this because I deserve it and my family deserves it. So meet yourself with compassion and love and say, what's the lesson here? How can I pocket that information and continue to keep moving forward in my life? It's an experiment. It's information. It's nothing more than that. You're not a failure. You're trying to figure out how this plays in my life and what role it plays, if any at all. So love on yourself like you would your best friend and the advice that you would give her, I know is going to be completely different than we would give Mm ourselves. So if we find our mistake and meet that with a little bit more love and compassion, it can be a lot different of an outcome because shaming ourselves does nothing but digs us into a deeper hole. And sometimes it's just stop the digging, Mm -hmm. reach your hand out 
and ask for help. And if you don't want to ask for help, jump into some of these groups or find a community of people who are doing things the way that you are motivated and inspired to do things. And it's going to become a lot more simple and a lot more freeing knowing that you're not alone. Because mm-hmm. that's the worst thing. It's the worst feeling to think that you're fighting something all alone and there's nobody else struggling. And that's never the case. And when we're really stuck in and infused with shame, we really believe that we are the problem. And when we are so fused with that belief, we see no solutions to the problem. When we think we are the problem and not our choice is the problem or whatever set us up to make those choices in the day was the problem or our anxiety or depression are the problem, we feel helpless and we feel powerless to change it, right? So breaking that cycle of shame, recognizing that I am not flawed in any way for making these decisions. I am a mom who is struggling potentially with postpartum anxiety or depression, or maybe with grief, having lost someone, maybe with grief, having lost a child or a baby, like who, I don't know each of your situations, but you are not failing. You are not the problem. Our choices and the sort of default paths or habits that we found our, our way into are what start to become problematic and we can fight our way out of them. And it is hard and takes conscious effort and, you know, courage. Like Michelle, when you're talking about your journey, I can just imagine like the courage to face certain people, the courage to have conversations, the courage to get back up again after falling down. There's so much courage involved, but you can do it. And I think that, like you said, in community with others is when we really feel especially empowered to do that as well. Absolutely. Absolutely agree with you. Yeah. I love the idea of replacing, because we're not just going to change our behavior. Like it's summertime right now in Ontario. We rarely have summer. We've got like two months that we have to get outside because it's freezing here the majority of the time. And so, and we just moved into a new house that has a wine fridge. The people who used to live here were winemakers. And so I've like stocked it with all of these drinks, like White Claws and whatever, like summery drinks. And I love the idea because for me and for when having friends over, it's so much more just about a fun experience. And it is actually about the alcohol itself. I love the idea of like, I'll put some bubblies in there. I'll put some different just fun options that are non-alcoholic because it's really just about the fun and the experience and being in the sun with a fruity drink than it is about the alcohol itself. And I think absolutely having those replacements I feel like also doesn't make us feel like we're on the outside either if we do that. Absolutely. I mean, that is so big. It's a big deal to somebody who is not wanting to talk about their sobriety or not wanting to say anything out loud yet. It's a way that you can show up and love on people that just don't want to drink that day or have responsibilities the next day. And if you have options out there, people are going to grab them. You know, and it's so cool to say, you know what, this can be an amazing experience because it's not the alcohol that makes it beautiful. No, it's the beautiful music. It's being away from the kids. It's the vitamin D. But we always are so quick to say it's because the alcohol was there and that we're drinking that made this experience so magical and so fun. Mm -hmm. And it's not. And so when people think about ditching the drink or taking a break or forever, which is scary, so don't do that. But it's like they feel so afraid that they're never going to have fun or enjoy their life because that one thing is missing or it's replaced with something different. 
And if you start having these experiences with a LaCroix or a bubbly in your hand, you're going to see you're going to have just as much fun or even more fun with not having the alcohol, but it was never about that in the first place. Right. And people will have mimosa bars. Do it, but have it not mixed together so other people can have zero proof options because 10 years ago, it was juice boxes or plant water. That was our <laughs> options. And just to have options shows that you care and that there, it's not, you don't have to drink to be welcome here, that there are other options. Yeah. And that just, it warms my heart because it gives people a different selection. Otherwise they're off the bat defensive and already afraid of having these conversations. So they don't. And by default or peer pressure, they drink when they don't want to. Right. And in so many of these situations, like you said, it's not about the alcohol. It's about the experience. It's about the connectedness. It's about feeling connected and not feeling lonely, like a sense of belonging and community. What is that vehicle, right? Like what is the alcohol a vehicle towards for you? And how do we get you to that place without alcohol involved? And maybe it is stocking my wine fridge with a bunch of bubblies because it really doesn't matter. It's about us sitting out with music in the sun, kids swimming in the pool and kids around. And it, it's not, it has nothing to do with alcohol and everything to do with our experience in that moment, right? So I love that idea. And I really appreciate this conversation today because I suspect a lot of those who are listening, well, they're, they're all going to fall on various places and where they feel in terms of this being problematic for them. But I think a really key important piece of this today is I think of my dad being the extreme case, right? And I think of that being the place that so many of us go when we think about alcoholism. And this is a very real problem in motherhood. It is a very real problem, particularly in the postpartum period. And so this conversation is just for you to become more mindful and aware of how you are using alcohol as a substance and what you are using it for, because you know what? Maybe I go to the social gathering and I decide not to drink and I actually want to crawl out of my skin because I feel so anxious. Maybe it's not a pleasant experience, but that tells me something. That tells me what I need to work on and that tells me something about myself and I can gain skills and work towards being able to be present in a moment like that, right? So being more mindful and just being aware of this challenge in the postpartum period so that you can even show up and support your friends more supportively or more with more knowledge. Absolutely. It's a really hard time in life. And, you know, when we stick together and have conversations that matter and work together on the same team, we're going to all get through this really heavy time, especially with the pandemic. Like we can do really hard things. We're great moms and we're doing the best that we can with what we have to work with. Yeah. And one of the things, I think it was something that I had heard in your TED Talk, like alcohol is not a solution for motherhood, right? Absolutely. It's not the solution. There are solutions, adaptive solutions and helpful solutions out there. And so if you do need help, what are some resources? So I know that you've got your online community. Can you share maybe some resources, especially where people can find you online as well? Yes, I am online at Recovery as the New Black. And I am there on every social media platform as well. I do have an underscore after my name, Recovery Cindy Black on Instagram. And I think, you know, a really cool thing to do is just to go follow social media, you know, people who are not drinking. And if you Google celebrities or mothers who don't drink, you will be so surprised at the women 
the moms who you wouldn't even dream of that don't drink. Mm. So that's really cool as a way to say, what do you mean Jennifer Lopez doesn't drink or Jada Pinkett Smith or all these models? And their reasonings for why they don't drink are all different, which is super cool. Mm. So Google that and just get into some of these groups, start listening, download some sober podcasts. I'm going to be launching a podcast just about alcohol-free living and motherhood and get curious. I also recommend what was that? The book. There's a book. I'll have to let you know what it is. Yeah. But there's tons and tons and tons of books. Just get curious, lean in, ask questions. And I know there's a ton of other things. Yeah. And we'll we'll link all of those things in the show notes. And I know that you talked about um, Naked Mind, I believe it's called. And she's got also an Instagram page. So we'll link all of those things in the show notes for you guys. There's a lot here to get you started. And I think that, as we've mentioned a couple times, it just takes like a mindfulness and a willingness to be curious about our relationship with this substance. And I even think about my mindful relationship with caffeine. You know, I take a very similar approach. Is this latte at 5 p.m. really going to serve me today? Or am I going to lie down at night and not be able to sleep and not be able to Obviously, it's a bit of a different substance, but I think that some of the same rules apply. We do this with a lot of other things in our life, too. And how do we become curious in that way? So thank you so much, Michelle, for taking the time. And we'll link all of your stuff in the show notes. Go follow Michelle. And I look forward to this podcast that you're working on because that'll serve so many moms. So thank you for being here. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. Settling is not an option for Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? <laughs> because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.